1: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writingexcuses. Season 16. Episode 27.
2: This is Writing Excuses. Nobody wants to read a book.
1: 15 minutes long.
3: Because you're in a hurry. And I don't want to read your book. I'm Dong Wan.
4: I'm Mary Robinette.
3: I'm Dan. And you can't make me.
4: That's Howard. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the start of our new intensive course, brand new subject with a brand new teacher. Uh, Dong-Wan, tell us just very briefly a little bit about yourself and uh, about what we're going to learn about for the next two months.
2: Yeah, so I'm Dongwon Song. Uh, I'm a literary agent with the Howard Moorheim Literary Agency. Um, I do mostly science fiction and fantasy uh, for adults, YA, middle grade, um, some graphic novels, things like that as well. Um, and so we're going to be talking about here um, how to start a novel, how, the importance of first pages, some of the techniques that really work. And we're going to sort of break down different aspects and then get into some
4: examples over the course of these next few episodes. Awesome. We're excited. Dongwan's also kind of the fifth Beetle, so to speak. I think you've been on more <laughs> Writing Excuses episodes than anyone except the four core hosts. So we're always. I've, happy I've to done have a you. couple of them. It's yes, always a delight. As to you be were here, asking so him, so him to you. introduce
1: himself, I'm like, I'm pretty sure these folks know him by now. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh well, take it
2: away. I get a lot of emails that say, "I know you from Writing Excuses," so it's it's quite lovely. But well,
1: tell us about first pages because um, you know. Uh, we, we got, we got novels to write and, uh, we have to convince Howard to read them.
3: (laughs) Good luck
2: with that. Well, so we've, I picked a slightly controversial title for the start of this one, which is nobody wants to read a book. Um, and I pulled that from a quote that crossed my feed, uh, recently. Um, and there was an interview with this legendary comics writer, uh, John Swartzwalder, who's mostly known for his work on the Simpsons. And I'm going to read you the quote uh, that was in this interview, which was in The New Yorker. Um, And it's, nobody wants to read a book. You've got to catch their eye with something exciting in the first paragraph while they're in the process of throwing the book away. If it's exciting enough, they'll stop and read it. And this just like perfectly encapsulated how I think about the way you need to start a book. Um, And you sort of have to assume that the person who's picked it up is not interested in what you have. Because in that moment, what they're really doing is trying to make a decision about, am I going to invest in this book? And, you know, I think we think about that in the bookstore in terms of like, I'm going to pay $20, $10, $5, whatever it is. But really the thing you're asking them to do is to give up hours of their life to spend with your words and your story. And there's a lot of things people can be doing with their time. They could be playing video games. They could be hanging out with their family, playing with their kids. So to get them to do that is a really big ask.
1: True story. Uh, Andy Weir gets a ton of ARCs, and uh, he got mine and was literally in the process of throwing it away. Like, it was in his hand on the way to the trash can. Like, the the trash can was below it, and he read the back cover copy, and he's like, hang on a minute. Apollo-era science fiction? That sounds like (laughs) my jam.
2: Because I think that's a great example, because you really have three major sales tools to convince a reader. One is the cover of your book, right? Whatever shining image is on there to tell them this is the genre, this is the category, this looks cool to me. I like this painted dragon, right? Uh, You have your jacket copy, uh, which, as Mary Robin was just talking about, is like that opportunity to be like, this is what the book's about in a really concrete way. But I think the thing that really clinches it, the thing that closes the deal is they open it and they read that first page and say, yes, this is for me. Um, This is exciting. Um, And I like this voice. I like these words. Um, So really, if you think about it, I I never encourage you to think about your audience as like a hostile engagement. But in this one case, I think thinking about it on the way to the trash can, like flying out of their hand, how are you going to grab them in that moment is such a useful way to approach it. Um, And so, you know, I think when you're thinking about that, as you're going into the publishing process, it's not just readers in the bookstore, right? It's agents, it's editors, it's really everyone in the process. You know, when I'm looking at queries, I look at your pitch and that is the first thing. But the thing I almost always do, even if I don't like the pitch 90% of the time, unless it's like something truly terrible, I will scroll down and just read the first few sentences just to check, just to see do you have the thing or not, right? And so, oftentimes, even if I don't like the pitch, if I like those first lines, I'm going to dig in more. I'm going to read that whole sample. I might even request more, right? That is really the opportunity for me and so many people like me to make your case as clearly as possible of why you should be, um, why I should be spending this time with you, why I should be investing all this time and energy into reading your project, into reading your yeah. book. And hopefully, going forward.
1: Yeah, one of the things when I was um, that was super instructive when I was uh, before I had started selling novels was I um, I had this this children's book and I had let uh, a friend of mine's uh, a friend of mine's wife was a, a, a an a, an editor at a major house and she's like well you know let me take a look at it because I was sitting in we were in a green room and, uh, situation she's like well hand me the manuscript let me take a look at it and I'll show you how I read things. She's like this. I, I want to make it clear. This is not me reading your manuscript. This is me demonstrating how I do it. And she started reading it, and she read about the first page, and then and then she scrolled ahead real fast, and she said, "Yeah, okay." So I always I always jump ahead thirty pages because what I find is that most debut authors bury the good stuff thirty pages in because the <laughs> first part of the book is actually them writing their way into figuring out what the book is, and then they don't cut it later. Absolutely. And,
3: Procedurally, the thing that I was gonna, the thing that I was gonna offer, the 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 tool that I use, um, I I have I have a reason that I that I want to write a book. I have a reason I want to tell a story. There's something about it that has hooked me. Um, and often, my first sessions of writing are an effort to articulate that, so that I remain hooked. Um, those are rarely really good first pages. They're usually,, uh, you know, a, a voice, a couple of chapters in or something. And so I allow myself the luxury of writing, writing some of the bits that I think I will love, and then writing, you know, the beginning material that leads into that. And then at some point, I have, you know, I have chapters, I have scenes, I have material, I have whatever, uh, much of which deserves to be cut because, because it's, it's a draft. Um, but this this discussion of, you know, what are the words that I want to put on the page that will prevent Andy Weir from dropping the book actually into the garbage? What are the things... Uh, what are the things that will hook a reader? Um, I don't lead with that because coming up with that bit first is really difficult. But once I have, once I have voice and world building and character and whatever else, um, the hook, whatever that, whatever that hook is going to be has often revealed itself. And it's not what I would have thought of at first blush.
2: Hey writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? for a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today.
1: Which I think is a, a great segue for us talking about um, our book of the week, uh, which is *The Last Watch* by J.S. Um and and I'm gonna just I'm going to give you a word picture of the cover. The cover is a deep black of infinite space with the words *The Last Watch*. Advanced reader copy, uh, but there's a, a spaceship that is in the process of exploding. Um, there's a, a diagonal stripe of brilliant blue-white light, and on one half, the ship is exploding, and on the other half, it's, it's perfectly sound. And, and then the, the blurb is, or the, the tagline is, their are humanity's last chance. So this is the first line of the book, and this is part of uh, this, or the first paragraph of the book. You'll be getting a lot of these this, this episode, but this is, this is part of why I was like, oh, I'm going to keep reading this. Spread your legs and bend over. Cavalon's face flushed, actually flushed. Embarrassing Cavalon Mercer was a feat few could boast. He was a little impressed. He looked over his shoulder to grin at the guard, but the sour-faced man narrowed his eyes and jabbed Cavallon's hip with his shock baton. A jolt of electricity shot along the nerves of his leg. Spread him, soldier. So what's fun about this, and part of the reason I was like, oh, I'm in, is because of... Uh, sh- She's she's just great with the voice of the character. He's snarky all the way through, and she's also good at unexpected turns. Like that paragraph goes; those that opening goes several different places that you aren't expecting it. And the entire book is very much like that. It is not a predictable read, um, and uh, I just—it's space opera. It's great fun. Um, it's also heartbreaking and uh, super fast-paced. Like these poor people. Um, I think in anyone who lives to the end of this, and there's, uh, you know, uh, spoilers. People die in this book. Um, what <laughs> anyone who lives to this to the end of this book has got to be just packed with PTSD. But um, but they have snarky great <laughs> fun getting there.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think that's a great example because so much of what you want to do in the opening of a book is to really. Um, Communicate to the reader what kind of roller coaster ride they're getting on. Right, you want to tell them up front this is the kind of book you're going to be reading. And so, communicating that it's snarky, there's going to be twists, there's a there's a sense of fun, but also there's a real sense of menace and violence. Right, that paragraph gets all of those elements across in very little space, which is exactly what you need to be doing. Um, and you know, we're going to talk about this more in detail later. But like that that first paragraph, that first page needs to be doing so much work. And it's gonna sound really intimidating as we talk about it of like, wait, how do we get all of these things in there? But there are techniques to do this and there are there are ways to do this. And I think the more you think about how do I put more into this opening page without overwhelming the reader, the more successful you're gonna be at like setting that hook and pulling people into your story.
1: Yeah, it's so tempting to get right into that right away, but I know that we're gonna be talking about these tools as we get deeper in. So, yeah. So let's, I think, continue to focus on it from a, a reader experience, which is, you know, as, as you're saying, like the, the things that cause people to to toss the novel away.
2: Well, one thing I wanted to hit on and, you know, uh, Mary Robinette, you and Howard are both touching on this is a thing that I say a lot is that the beginning is a terrible place to start. Right. Where the story begins for the characters is often incredibly boring for us as readers because nothing's happening yet, right? That when the characters are starting their story, they're entering into the situation. And so they're not in a place that's intrinsically interesting. There aren't any stakes for them there yet. There's not, there's not tension for them there yet. So one thing I like to think about is how do you skip that proverbial 30 pages ahead? How do you skip to the part where the book is really happening now and then backfill the information that you need that got the character to that point? Um, which is, you know, start at the interesting part. Start with the interesting. Don't start with the beginning. Yeah.
1: Um, By the same token, you can start too quickly. Uh, one of the pieces of advice that I got specifically for murder mysteries uh, from Hallie Efron was that uh, most the, 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 the most common thing that she sees is that people start with the body drop and that you actually have to take a little bit of time to let people see what normal is like before everything starts going uh, completely sideways, so it, it is this fine line where you know it's so tempting to start mise place, which is or mise en scene, which is what this book does, where we are right in the middle of action. Um, but this action that he's right in the middle of sets promises, but it's not the big action that is driving the the the, the book itself, and it's it's these breadcrumbs that you want to lay.
2: Yeah, the tension in that scene feels like it's a microcosm of what's going to be happening, right? There are stakes in that scene of, you know, he's under threat, he's being shocked by this baton, he's under some kind of investigation. But we as the readers already feel that this is going to be a small thing inside of the greater stakes of the story. And I think being able to communicate that is one of the ways to be really effective.
4: Um, there, there's a principle that I talk about a lot that I I refer to as the Ice Monster prologue, which I, I stole from... Uh, the first Game of Thrones book. Not that he calls it that, but that's where I came up with this. Because sometimes, I think you're right, and I would say most of the time, you need to jump ahead, skip those 30 pages, and get to where the story gets good. But a lot of the time, especially if what you're telling is an epic, you want to take a lot of time to establish the character and establish their life and let it breathe before things really get big. So think about, for example, the the opening of uh, Star Wars, A New Hope. Like if we started with Luke, we would be on a farm in a desert and there would be a good half hour before anything really interesting happened. And so instead they start a little bit before that and we get, you know, a big space battle and a Star Destroyer and people shooting and droids escaping. And it's only about 10 minutes, but it helps us, it establishes that promise early on like stick with me we're about to go to the boring farm stuff and it obviously it's not boring but just don't worry this is the kind of story that has space battles and robots and lasers in it you just have to trust me while we get through this early farm boy sequence
1: yeah james bond actually does the same thing with the the it's also called a cold open yeah um where he is wrapping up another mission. Because if you actually start at the beginning of this mission, it's a lot of office building. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Law and order is the other great example of you always start with that cold open of you do have the body drop, but then you can wind back to the detectives getting coffee or starting their day or whatever it is. You know, prologues are their own huge topic, but I think these are great examples of ways to Quickly establish stakes and tone before you get into the characters going about their lives in a very in more gradually warming up to them and warming up to the world
3: in uh, procedurally for for the writer. Um, I think it's useful to look at musical theater overtures. If you've ever listened to one of those, those overtures will have elements of some of your favorite pieces in the whole musical strung together in this sort of medley that then leads into our first scene, um, that can't be written, that can't be composed until the rest of the musical has been written. That's how hard these first pages... May be for you to write,
1: and metaphorically speaking, uh, the other reason that that's a, a good example is that the overtures are written were originally composed literally to get the audience into their seats. They were there mm-hmm. to play while the audience was sitting down. Um, so,
3: oh wait, early Apollo era trombone. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, so I think that that brings us to the end of the episode, which means that we should give you some homework to prepare for next week. Dongguan, you have that for us, don't you?
2: Yeah. So what I want all of you to do is to go back the last three books that you read, um, and sit down and read that first page, read the first paragraph, read that first line, and then sit down with the notepad and take notes in a very little way about, you know, what did you find exciting about them? What worked for you and what didn't work for you? What works about a first page is very subjective. So I want you to think about why did I decide to keep reading this or what almost made you throw this book in the trash, right? What almost kicked you out of the experience in that way? And I think as you start to be really analytical about that, you'll be able to take some lessons and apply that to your own work.
1: This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. This episode of Writing Excuses was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr. and mastered by Alex Jackson. Your hosts were Dong Song, Mary Robinette Kowal, Dan Wells, and Howard Taylor. The episode was brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash writing excuses.
0: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app.